Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. God's doing sometimes? Sometimes. No. So I don't doubt him, uh, but I might doubt what he's doing. Do you ever doubt what God's doing? Yeah. But I think that's only because I don't see the big picture. I can't see the big picture and why I'm suffering through this or that or why somebody else has to struggle through something. There's a reason and a purpose behind it, but we only see this much and God sees this much and he's on the other side of it all is goodness for us. Why do you think people doubt? Uh, I think in some cases they don't want to own or take the responsibility for the choices that they've made. So it's easier to deflect that to you know a higher power or God did it uh, than, than owning it yourself. I think you doubt because you just lack confidence. I think we doubt because we only see this much. We only have such a small understanding of what he sees. Have you doubted anything lately? Yeah. This past year I went through something really difficult. And in that time I did start to doubt, not that God existed or that he was the God of the Bible, but I doubted that he really genuinely cared about me. I doubted that he was truly good. Maybe once a month when I'm at work, usually. It's seeing these kids suffering. Like seeing these kids who don't have families to take care of them. Sick kids who don't have anybody. Or seeing kids that end up with full-blown cancer and die within a month. It just doesn't seem fair. So those are the times where I doubt him the most. Like what is the point of this? And what do you do in those times? I kind of throw my hands up and say, I don't understand. I just submit control and authority to him, I guess. I think I started to feel like he cared about me again when my situation was changing. I actually saw some of my prayers answered and I started to experience healing. Instead of sitting in that doubt, instead of getting caught in that doubt, um, push past it and figure out, okay, what am I most certain about? What am I most confident in? Um, who does God love? Is he there? And then once you push through into those spaces, rest and be confident there and find peace there and move on from the question or move deeper into the question. Because I know that God is fully good, but we live in a world that is full of sin uh, and that it doesn't reflect fully his heart. I don't see uh, a doubting what he does. I see man's choices to walk in a way contrary to what should be. Right now, I actually feel like that pain is worth it. That um, the life that God has for me is my best life and I wanna live my best life. Well, good morning, everybody. I always enjoy talking to you. 
This morning I want to talk to you about doubt. About doubt. Have you ever had a bout of doubt? Maybe intellectual doubt. Does God exist? Is the Bible true? Or maybe you had some emotional doubt. I know God exists, and I, but I don't feel lovable. I'm not sure that God loves me. Or I don't feel that many times my prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. Have you ever had a bout of doubt? This summer we're doing a series of messages on some of the questions that Jesus asked. Would you be surprised if I was to tell you that Jesus asked over 150 questions? Piercing questions, penetrating questions, deep questions that zero in on the heart and cause people to think. The questions of Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at one of the great questions he asked Peter in a storm, in a boat. And the question that Jesus asked, he said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Now before we go into the story this morning, I just want to take a few moments, if you would allow me, to um, make some preliminary observations. I'm trying to frame our story, and so there are just some observations that I would like to make about doubt before we begin. Preliminary observation number one. Doubt happens in almost every single arena of our lives. You can have the greatest job in the world. You just love your job. But you put together a bad week at work and all of a sudden you have these niggling doubts. Am I really in the right career or in the right job? You can have this wonderful marriage. There's a lot of love in your marriage. But you put together a week where the baby is crying all night, the in-laws are staying so long, financial stressors, you know that old saying, when poverty comes through the door, love goes out the window. And you just, you know, you doubt some of your feelings. You've been texting your really good friend, but all of a sudden your friend has stopped texting you and you, you start wondering, like, what, you know, doubting, what's going on with my relationship? Our fridge broke down. We've been without a fridge for two weeks. It's been just terrible. <laughs> um, we, we ordered a new fridge, and um, the day after we ordered it, we, Leanne comes home and she, sa she says, oh no, I doubt we, we've got the right fridge, and so we had to you know, order another one. And I say all of that to say is that doubt fills every area of our lives. We should not be surprised if we have doubts in our personal spiritual life. Introductory observation number two. We often doubt because our faith is not perfect. Our faith is not perfect. I don't care how long you've been a Christian or how mature you are in the faith. You do not have a perfect faith. Did you know that every time we go to a wedding, we're reminded of this? 
Invariably what happens at our wedding, somebody, some sister-in-law or someone is going to get up and um, read the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13. And in that chapter, we read these words that, that we know in part. We know in part. And then it says, we see through a glass dimly. We see through a glass dimly. Can you imagine being in front of a beautiful scenic view and having to look at this view through the bottom of Coke bottles? You see, isn't that true? On this side of heaven, our faith is not perfect. We see through a glass dimly. And then imperfect faith is simply going to be susceptible to doubt. Introductory observation number three. Some of the great Christians who have ever lived and people who've done great things for God and accomplished many things for the cause of Christ, if you read their biographies and autobiographies, you will learn that many of them went through phases of doubt in their lives. In fact, if you read enough of them, it almost seems that doubt is part of the normal Christian experience. Remember John the Baptist, the man who baptized Jesus and who introduced Jesus to the world? Do you remember him? This is hard to fathom. But at a dark time in his life, John the Baptist in prison really wonders if Jesus is the Messiah. And I remind you, Jesus called him one of the greatest men who ever lived. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. When he hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, he says, no, 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 no. I don't believe it. May I remind you that Thomas heard all of Jesus' sermons. He saw all of Jesus' miracles. But he, he was just of that nature and that personality where he, he struggled with faith and he struggled with doubt. And I think it's important to point this out because many of you, when you go through periods of doubt, you catastrophize. You say, oh, I'm such a terrible Christian. What is wrong with me? We judge ourselves terribly. Well, doubt can be part of the natural and normal Christian experience. Doubt simply means that you're thinking. It simply means that you're asking questions. And isn't it okay to ask questions and try to wrestle with things and work things out? Sure. Introductory observation number... The next one. Christians can be terribly judgmental of other Christians who are having doubts. I think that's one of the reasons why many of us uh, don't want to share our, our doubts and our struggles is because some perfect Christian is just going to pile on us and condemn us. I wonder why we do that. The second last, Bible, verse, uh, second last book in the Bible, the book of Jude, verse 22, says that we're to have mercy on those who doubt. And yet you can trust the Christians to just ride all over you if you share some of the struggles that you're having. Come on. I'm going to be leaving center stage, and I'm 
going to be going to the boat over there to tell our story, but before I do, just one more introductory observation. There's a man in the Bible whose little boy is in crisis, and is there anything worse than when our children are in crisis? So he takes his little boy to Jesus for Jesus to heal him, and Jesus and the Father have a conversation about faith, and I, I wish I had more time to develop the story for you, but in the story, um, the Father says to Jesus these words. He says, I believe... Help me with my unbelief. There's just something about that that really resonates with me. I believe, help me with my unbelief. And I think that that is a prayer that you could pray in your times of doubt. I think it's a God-honoring, honest prayer that would really reflect your heart because you do believe, right? We, we do have this faith, faith, but in the trials and struggles of life, things are all upside down. But you could often pray this prayer. I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Now, I've got to get into the boat, and I just hope I don't break my neck. You have your Bibles, or the text will come up on the screen. Now we're going to look at the story uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, beginning at verse 22. Follow along as I read. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples. Would you just make a note of that? He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Can you make a note of that? He went on the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. The wind was contrary, it was against. This is a story about a storm, a vicious, ferocious storm. And the disciples were in the middle of this storm fighting for their lives. It is a terrible thing to be in a big storm in a little boat. We were so saddened a number of weeks ago to hear on the news this story that happened on Table Lake in Missouri, where a tour boat operator takes 20 people for a boat tour on the middle of Table Lake, but this operator does not check the weather forecast. And in the middle of the storm, this, in, the, in the middle of the, the trip, this horrific storm surprises them and comes upon them. And of the, seven, the 20 people on the boat, 17 of them perish. Nine of them from one family. Imagine that, nine people from one family you see, it is a terrible thing to be in a big storm in a little boat. I know this from experience because when I was a little boy, I was fishing with my Uncle Jonah. Fishing with my 
Uncle Jonah, get it? We were fishing at the mouth where the Fraser River empties into the Pacific Ocean, and the same thing happened. The storm, it, it just came upon us. And as a little boy, I remember the big waves. But what concerned me more than the big waves was this uh, look of concern etched on Uncle Jonah's face. And I knew at that point that it is a terrible thing to be in a big storm in a little boat. And this was the plight of the disciples. Do you remember I asked you to note that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat? You can't get around it, folks. Jesus sent them into the storm. For all of you who think that God is an overly protective God that would never send his children in harm's way, you've got to come to terms with the story. For all of you who think that God bubble wraps his, his children in bubble wrap to always protect them, you have to come to terms with the story. But, but, while they are battling for their lives on the sea, I ask you to note that Jesus is on the mountain praying for them. I like that. Let's continue on with our story, verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now this is instructive because it tells us how long the disciples were battling for their lives in the storm. It says, in the fourth watch of the night... In Bible times, Romans uh, had four posts, guard posts in the night. The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The second watch from 9 p.m. till midnight. The third watch from midnight to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So this text tells us is that sometime in the third watch between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. That means these disciples could have been battling for, what, 10 hours or so? Who knows? You know, we sometimes just read these Bible stories so clinically, and we forget that, that these were real people in real situations, and you have to almost put yourself in this situation to imagine that you are fighting for your life. For 10 hours, more water coming into the boat than going out, thunder and lightning and, and, and trying to keep this boat afloat and knowing that you're probably going to die. But at the fourth watch, Jesus, having left the mountain, he comes to them walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. Now, our Sunday school pictures do not serve us well here because in our Sunday school pictures, Jesus is walking on this crystal blue water with a big smile on his face. Uh, there was a storm. The water was foaming and churning, and there were great swells. And I have this picture of Jesus walking up one swell and down the other. And through the clasps of thunder and the flashes of lightning, the disciples begin to see this figure coming at them up one swell and, and down the other. 
Oh, how your mind is affected when you're terrified and when you're scared. Let's look at the next verse, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Not they were comforted, they were troubled. Why? Because they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Not only are they battling the storm, now they have to deal with a haunted lake. Because there is a ghost coming towards them. In ancient Jewish thought, two things lived in the depths. In the depths of the water, ghosts and demons lived there. Last week, I was just in the Okanagan by Okanagan Lake, and many of you know that one of the uh, legends around the Okanagan Lake, who lives in the bottom of uh, Ryan, do you know who lives in the bottom of Okanagan Lake? Ogopogo, right? Or, or if you're from uh, uh, Scotland, Nessie, the sea monster lives in the bottom of the lake. So this is not that far-fetched. Jews believe that ghosts and demons lived in the depths of the sea. Just as a quick aside and a little bit interesting, do you remember when Jesus, there was this man named Legion who had 40 demons, and Jesus cast the demons out of Legion. Do you remember what he does? He, Angela, he casts them into the pigs, and then you remember the pigs, what do they do? They, they jump off the cliff and into the sea, and in Jewish thought, hey, that was a good place uh, for those demons to end up. And so, What's happening here is, as they're fighting for their lives on the water, they just think, hey, from the depths, one of these ghosts has kind of come to just kind of finish them off. But Jesus gets closer. And um, uh, let, let's read the next verse, verse 27. It'll come up on the screen. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, it's, it's, it's not a ghost. <laughs> it's me. Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. The calming voice of Jesus. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, if I can just stop here for a moment, I find this uh, a little weird. Because look what Peter said. He, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me, me to come to you on the water. That is not what I would have said. <laughs> I wouldn't have said, Jesus, command me to come to you. I would have said, Jesus, you come to me, you come here to me and come quickly. Will you stop walking on water and will you start running on water? And I'm sure all of the disciples were feeling this, the same thing. As soon as they realized it was him, get over here as quickly as you can. Come on. We're dying. Our boat is sinking. Come quickly. But Peter says, no, come I'll come to you. Would you have done that? See, folks, many, many times Jesus has come to us, but there comes a time in our life when we have to go to him. And there might be somebody in this room, you know, you, you expect God to do everything for you, and you but you've, there's never come a point in your life when you have left your leaky life and you have made your move towards him. 
And I just think that there's somebody here, you, you, today you need to do that. If not now, when? You have to go to Jesus. And Peter does that. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. I wonder what that was like. <laughs> Peter, he puts his boat, he has to be hanging on because this isn't a canoe, right? This, this is a small boat in a storm. It's like a canoe. And so Peter, he, he steps over the side of the boat and I wonder if he does one of these <laughs> to test the water. And then he, he has to bring, right? He has to bring the second leg over but he's still hanging on to the boat. There comes a point when you have to let go of the boat and the water is foaming and churning and there comes that, that critical moment when he lets go and he stands up and, and he's, you know, th are those first few steps shuffles? You have to put yourself into this story, people. But he's focused on Jesus. He's focused on him. And eventually the, st the shuffles become small steps. And I'm wondering, he has the balance, right, in this raging water. And he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I'm walking on water. I'm walking on water. I'm walking on water. And then he says, I'm walking on water. <laughs> and his peripheral vision catches a glimpse of the storm and the churning water around him. Let's continue reading. Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? He sees the storm. He drops like a rock. It must have been right before Jesus. So Jesus quickly grabs him and lifts him out of the water and now has to hold him because he has lost his ability to walk on water. He has to hold him. And he says to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now I want you to think about that for a moment because I need some time to get off of the raging sea and to center stage. But I want you to think about the response of Jesus. Think about it and how you I want you to think about how you feel about it. O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me share with you how I feel about it. If the truth be known, it bothers me a little bit. And it bothers me from this perspective. O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? It just seems to me that Peter was exercising great faith. 
He stepped out of the boat at the command of Jesus, and he is walking on water towards Jesus. That, that just seems like great faith to me, albeit he had this little lapse when he, he saw the storm and took his eyes off Jesus, but it just seems to me that Jesus is upset at him. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And furthermore, it has always seemed to me that Peter's exercised great faith. I mean, he left his nets, he left his career to follow Jesus, he would give his body and he would give his life to serving Jesus, he would ultimately die for Jesus. Um, like, Jesus, why are you giving him the raspberries for this? Um, what we know are the words that Jesus said to Peter. What we don't know is the tone of voice that he used. Like, did he say, like, really, Peter? You took your eyes off of me? What is wrong with you? Oh, ye of little faith. Or did he say, Peter, <laughs> he's holding him. Peter has lost his ability to walk. He's holding him. He's going to take him back to the boat, carry him back to the boat. He's holding him. Or did he say, oh, Peter, I was so, you were doing so well. I saw you, Peter. You took your eye off of me. Oh, Peter, why did you doubt me, you little faith? I guess your answer to that question of which tone Jesus used would depend on your view of God. There have been some excellent ads on the radio lately, and uh, there's actually a series of ads, and Leanne and I have been looking forward to each one of them because they're just excellent, and, and they have to do with these, um, it's, it's, you know these big D do-it-yourself stores, these big um, uh, box stores where we get our, our renovation supplies from and material from, and you can get some expertise there. Um, they're these big, I'm not allowed to say the name of them, but I think you know these stores. They're, they're like home, place, uh, depots. Oops. <laughs> we, Leanne and I have a good friend named Rona, and Rona loves to shop at these stores. <laughs> and... Um, so you know what I'm talking about. And he, the gist of these ads are here you have a husband. You know, he's not really much, Ryan, of a contractor kind of guy, but he's going, to, um, he's going to take on the renovation of the bathroom. And so the encouragement of the ads is that if you're going to take on the renovation at the home, you've got to go to these stores for their supplies and their expertise or something. Because what you, the husband doesn't want to hear his wife say when she inspects the finished bathroom, you don't want, she doesn't want him to say, Hon, I can't believe you did this. But if he goes to the store for their expertise, supplies, and advice, instead of saying, Hon, I can't believe you did this, she's going to say, Hon, I can't believe you did this. Uh, another one is, um, and this is my favorite one, um, that's your dad, he did it himself. He doesn't want to hear that uh, from his wife. So he goes to these stores for their expertise, supplies, and advice. Instead of saying, that's your dad, he did it himself, she says, that's your dad, he did it himself. I, I was speaking at the service uh, last night, uh, uh, 
and someone came up to me. There's apparently a brand new one, and uh, the, the brand new one is, no way, that's stylish. <laughs> but he goes to the store, expertise advice, and instead of saying, no way, that's stylish, she says, no way, that's stylish. <laughs> you see how, how the tone, how the tone can affect so was Jesus upset, or was he uplifting, hanging on to Peter, hugging to him? Oh, Peter, <laughs> you took your eyes off of me. Why did you doubt me? In, the, in our language, O ye of little faith, that's five, five words. In the original language, it's just one word. And that has led some Bible students and Bible scholars to conclude that what is really happening here is Jesus is kind of giving Peter a little nickname. He's kind of calling him Mr. Little Faith. Mr. Little Faith. Lest you think that is way out there, remember that there was always, always seemed to this, be this play on Peter's name, Peter meaning Petros Rock, and he's called Little Pebble sometimes. Jesus called him Little Pebble. And, and here some, just some scholars think that, that he's calling him Mr. Little Faith. And this is kind of supported by the, the message paraphrase of the Bible. I don't know if you can bring it up on the screen. But in the message paraphrase of the Bible, it says, Jesus said to him, Hey, faint heart, what got into you? Um, let me illustrate you have a small child who's 12 or 13 months, and this small child is just learning to walk. You've noticed recently that they started pulling themselves up on the furniture, and they can stand up by themselves, and maybe a few days later, you see your little daughter hanging onto the coffee table, standing up by herself, and you just sense that maybe now is the time, and you get down on your knee, and you, you reach out to your child and say, come to mommy, sweetie, let go, and come to mommy, and the child child looks a little terrified. But there comes that moment when the child takes its hand off the coffee table and looking at you, the child starts taking a step and then another step for you and you're thrilled beyond words because you see your child is walking and the child is saying to herself, I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking. And then the child says, I'm walking. And she leaves your eyes and she looks down the ground and she crumples to the floor. What is your attitude at that point? Are you angry at your child? What's wrong with you? Can't you walk? <laughs> Here's what you might do. You might pick up your little child and hold that child in your arms and say, hey, Miss Clumsy, why did you take your eyes off of me? <laughs> because here's what you know. Your child is learning to walk. And in that moment with Peter on the water, Jesus wanted to teach him something. Jesus didn't want to condemn him or wasn't upset at him. He wanted to teach Peter something. He wanted Peter never to forget this moment because you see, my friends, Peter was going to have many storms in his life. 
He was going to have some horrific storms. He was going to go through that, that whole episode of his denial of Jesus and the guilt and the shame. He was going to be going to prison multiple, multiple times. He was going to be beaten. He was ultimately going to be executed. He was going to have many, many storms. And Jesus wanted him to always remember to keep, Peter, you need to keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me on me and never forget that. You see, at its core, faith is concentration on Jesus. Faith is concentration on Jesus. Faith is not so much um, what you believe as important as that is. Faith is not so much how you behave as important as that is. Faith is not so much what you do for Jesus as important as that is. At its core, faith is concentration on Jesus. And Peter would never forget that. That's not usually what you and I do when we go through our doubts and our storms. We tend to focus on ourselves and our own faith, and we judge ourselves for a lack of faith. We focus on our own faith. We focus on our faults. We focus on our failures. We focus on our feelings. And that never takes you anywhere. Sooner or later, we have to learn the secret to fix our eyes on Jesus. The old-time Christians used to have these plaques in their homes, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Whose mind is stayed on me. And I can't explain it to you, my friends. I just can't explain it. I don't know how it works. I can't even communicate it to you. But I have just found in my life that when I have gone through doubts and struggles, that if I can shut down my, my busy mind, if I can stop obsessing, if I can stop looking at other people, and if I can just focus on the Lord Jesus, on what he means to me, what he has done for me, some of the things that he has said, and if I can focus on some of the stories, if I can just focus on him. Him. I can't explain it, but it brings a tremendous peace to my heart. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Three little boys had a little competition on us after school one winter day, and um, the, the, the nature of the competition was who can walk the straightest line in the sand? I'm sorry, in the snow, the straightest line in the snow. So the first guy, he's a cute little guy, he walks, starts walking uh, his straight little line, but he turns around to see how he's doing, and pretty soon he has a crooked little line. The second little boy, he's a cute little guy, he walks his straight line in the, in, the, in the snow, but he turns around to see how he's doing, but he also looks to the other side to compare his line to the other little boy's line, and pretty soon he has a crooked little line. Ah, but the third boy, he's smart. He picks a tree on the other side of the playground. He focuses on that tree, and he marches straight towards that tree. He does not look behind him to see where he's been. He does not look beside him to care, compare himself to other people. He focuses on that tree, and he has the straightest line. And that is the Christian life, fixing our eyes on Jesus and loving him through trust and by looking at him all the time. 
At the end of his life, Peter has a choice to save his life or to die for his Savior, and he says, I will die for my Savior, and they're going to execute him. And they say to Peter, Peter, you're not going to deny your Savior. Well, we're going to execute you, and we're going to execute you in the same way that we executed your Savior. We're going to put nails in your hands, and we're going to put nails in your feet. And Peter said, I, I just have one request. I'm not worthy to die in the same way that my Savior died, so when you execute me, will you put me upside down? Because I, I'm just not worthy. And they said, permission granted. We will crucify you upside down. I just want to take one last quick second to address all of you who have intellectual doubts. And I, uh, I care about you, I love you, just where you're at in life, right? You just have intellectual doubts. I just want to invite you to consider something. Ten of Jesus' disciples chose to be executed rather than save their lives. They were so convinced that the gospel was true, that the miracles were true. They were so convinced that the resurrection of Christ was true that they said, we will die for this. People will rarely die for a lie. Who will die for a lie? And I, I just lovingly want to just invite you to think about that. You, you don't, you're going to do with it what you will. But I've always believed in the veracity and the truth of the gospel and the resurrection because people died for that. And so they took Peter, nailed him on a cross, and put it upside down. How does a man get through something like that? How does he survive that? I believe that Peter remembered that day on the lake when Jesus held him and taught him to always keep his eyes on him, I believe that that got him through this and he focused his eyes on Jesus. And the Savior who reached down and pulled him out of the water reached down to the upside down Peter and pulled him into heaven because thou wilt keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.